0: Welcome to this week's episode of High Impact Man Podcast. Uh, this week, you're going to get introduced to a, a guy by the name of John Vella. He's he's one of the, the kind of the rare non F three interviews that we do, but you're going to love this guy's story. Uh, he he shares the story of growing up in a house uh, where his parents took in foster kids, and not just not just any foster kids, like kids. That had special needs, and 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 they were really providing almost like a you know a hospital type setting for these kids. He talks about his journey through life and and schooling and competing in track and field, climbing Mount Rainier. I mean, this guy's out there living life to its fullest, and then giving back to the kids um, in the school that he teaches and coaches at. So sit back and and really enjoy this episode. Welcome to the High Impact Man Podcast. High impact men from across the nation sharing their stories of inspiration, encouragement, and hope. Gosh, seek transformational relationships. What you're hearing from
1: the culture is not right. Pick up the six, you know what I mean? But you never know who your six
0: sometimes is. Stop being less. To help others become the virtuous leaders they are called to be and that our nation desperately needs. Fly, Eagles, fly. Oh, <laughs> I didn't agree to sing on that song. the road song. to victory. Go Steelers. Oh,
2: man. <laughs> Come on. No,
0: I'll cheer for the Eagles. Pennsylvania You got to keep it in PA.
2: Yes, of course. For those of you who tuned in to this episode of the High Impact Man podcast, we are recording this on February the something, 6th. Yeah. February the 6th. So it's
0: just before the Super Bowl. Six days before the Eagles
2: win the Super Bowl again.
0: Right. That was the popular vote this morning. All right, there you go. I took the boys out to the Hotel California, and uh, I didn't tell them why. I was asking them, like, all right, Super Bowl predictions, and whoever gave the highest total points for the Eagles, that's how many merkins we did. Nice. So they're like, oh, we didn't realize that was. (laughs) Oh, I would (laughs) have been in trouble. But I said thirty-five.
2: I would have told. I would have said forty-two. I can tell you, I
0: said thirty-five points for the Eagles and twenty-four for the Chiefs. And uh no one gave the Eagles that many, so it was thirty five Merkins oh, before we did our two marks. I predict back a ra- to the I predict AO.
2: a rather high scoring game. Ooh. Mahomes is great. But the Eagles offense is really good. Kansas City Chiefs defense isn't.
0: So what's your prediction? Spectacular.
2: Eagles victory, obviously.
0: You know, if we nail this, people are just gonna think we edited it in and got it got it right. <laughs> because <laughs> no, it's after the case.
2: This is this is a total prediction. So I think the Eagles are gonna win and I think Patrick Mahomes isn't gonna finish the game. Ooh. He's playing on a bum ankle and the Eagles Pass rush is amazing. All right. So, well, welcome to another episode of the High Impact Man Podcast. Uh, this is Nevin Gorky, your host. You know me in the F three world as D-Fib. and I'm joined as always by Troy Klinger, my co-host. He's known as Dial Up. You know him. You love him. Uh, <laughs> Dial Up. That uh, that run this morning was uh, it was about three and a half miles.
0: Yeah, I think everybody got in three and a half to four. Yeah. Well, Somewhere you're, you're a, a U-turner. I did, yeah, how so. you turn and get some extra in and did a little bit of a pre-run beforehand.
2: Yeah, the reason he's a U-turner is because he's way out in front of everybody. So,
0: so good. Bob got hit this morning, though. I didn't tell you that. You what? But I got hit by a car. Oh, no, oh, I didn't. Yeah, nut yeah. was coming the other direction, and I had a feeling he was going to veer right because, like, no one ever really comes on that road and, and doesn't make that little yeah. veer to the right, and so I was kind of on alert and... Last minute, the guy just like starts turning right. Like I I'm like halfway across the intersection. Well, you know, we, we, uh. So I informed him of his inadequacies <laughs> as a driver <laughs> as, he, as he, as he, drove by. Did he hear you? Uh, yeah. I'm sure he stopped yeah, and right. apologized. Right. Uh, yeah. But I, I just kind of kept on rolling, but. Yeah.
2: You know, but that brings up a good point. We don't really stress it, but uh, cause we don't end up on roads too often. Yeah.
0: yeah. That's rare but that we go out on that, that you know, road. Everyone's wearing a, he-
2: almost everyone's wearing a headlamp, but we don't wear reflective stuff, Nox gear. So, I, you, know.
0: You, you know, it's weird. I don't. I don't generally with, like, with with the F3 guys, like, on, especially on that run, if I go for right. a night run by myself, I generally will wear my Knox gear stuff. Well, you're
2: doing more road work then. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but we might think about that. You
0: know, yeah. Well, then I turned around. I, I, you turned at one point, Spielberg was on the other side of the road, so I had to yell at him, like, Spielberg, against traffic.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah. So you could see him coming. Right. Because we are You so always f- want to, you always want to see yourself getting right. hit. So we were cat quick. We could get, dive out of the Right. Way, right? You don't want to yeah. get hit from behind. And, All right.
0: Not see it coming. Of course. Yeah.
2: All right, folks. Well, uh, our guest today is John Vela. John is uh, well-known to us. He lives in, in the same town that we do, Danville, Pennsylvania, uh, the land of the ice and snow. Uh, although we've been pretty lucky this winter, I think. Yeah. I it's been mean, mild. You know, when when temperatures are in the teens and we're complaining, That's that means we're having a good winter. That's because. right. It Monks was, Honey
0: Phil told us six more weeks, though. Stupid groundhog.
2: In all the years i lived in Pennsylvania, I've never gone out there. I hear it's a party anyway it's a
0: big event yeah
2: so uh john's a teacher and a coach and uh an all-around great guy so we're gonna uh just have him tell his story uh he's not a member of f3 so most of our audience i think are f3 guys but you're really going to get a lot out of this because he's a high impact man otherwise we wouldn't have him on the show that's right i call it a show i don't he's not an f3
0: guy yet yet (laughs) (laughs) maybe someday (laughs) We're trying to get, we need to get a biking culture going in F3. Yeah, so, that's, that's like, legit. Yeah, we'll have to chat about that. We got, would, got a few bikers too. Yeah, we? we got Peloton and Cha-Ching. Yeah, yeah uh, right. Yeah, it could, it could be something that we could grow. We should definitely could talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, right.
1: we can, man. So anyway, John, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you. Uh, definitely a first for me. I uh, didn't realize that you guys did this, but uh should be fun. I'm yeah. Looking, I, I've been looking forward to this.
2: Yeah, dial-ups, world famous. Right. People listen to us <laughs> from all around the world.
1: I, I do think Mahomes is going to finish the game. Oh, do you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, rooting for the Eagles, but uh, Mahomes is tough.
2: He is he, tough, but he that must,
1: he muscled through those last two games. He'll muscle through this
2: well, you one. You know that you know what it's uh, you know coaching uh, track and cross country for so long. Although I don't know how many high ankle sprain, sprains occur there. That's more like basketball and stuff. But high ankle sprains a tough one to heal from. That man's mentally tough. He is mentally tough. You're right. But rooting for the Eagles. so was Brock Purdy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly, <laughs> and Josh, whatever his name is, Johnson, I think anyway well, John, uh, yeah, we obviously I should be on the podcast uh, to tell your story, so um, I'd like to just start like we usually do from the beginning, so right. you grew up in Danville, so tell us what it was like growing up here in Danville, your family life is like you sure. know that
1: kind of stuff. Well, definitely born and raised, and uh, it was such a positive environment for me that went away to school, decided to come back and make my home here yeah so uh so yeah it was a great place to grow up you know growing up in the 70s yeah uh, it was just phenomenal when neighborhoods were neighborhoods full of kids and right playing night games and riding our bikes and Mm -hmm. jumping ramps and friends friends doing all yeah friends every (laughs) night summer was full uh and the winners were, you know, you mentioned winners. They were better winners than what they are right now in this yeah, town. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm definitely biased towards uh, Danville being a great community to to grow up in mm-hmm. uh, and to raise a family. Yeah. So I had a lot of real positive influences here. Uh, plus, you know, once I got married and had kids, I wanted my I wanted my parents to know their kids or their grandchildren. So right. That was a that was a big decision for uh, why I stayed in Danville, and it was probably one of the best decisions I ever made because of the relationships that my kids had with their grandparents. Yeah, so for me, it was it was the right decision.
2: Yeah, that's different today, right? I mean, people, everyone's so mobile anymore. Yeah, and um, you know, back then, like you said, I you probably had the same experience when we decided where to call, go to college. It wasn't like we went on college. I didn't go on any college visits. I went right, on. Right. I went on one college visit because a, a, a Moravian college was recruiting me to play basketball. So right. that was my only college visit. Sure. And I didn't go there.
1: So yeah.
0: why? Um, <laughs> I know the answer, but it's a good story. You do? Yeah. Uh, so two reasons. <laughs>
2: um, mostly because my parents were with me on the tour and they had a player from the team. So a college guy. <laughs> Giving us a tour, and uh, I was excited. This is like pretty cool, you know. They treat you kind of good because they're trying to recruit you and stuff. It's only Division three, so I, I wasn't right. great by any means. But he um, took us through this one dorm building for the guys, and they're empty beer barrels, you know, right. in the in the hallway sure. stuff. And we got done. My mom's like, "You're not going here, right?" Like, mom, this is like every college is gonna be like this, but uh, but it was really cool. Yeah. But then the other reason is because I was sitting in the um, they had a basketball game that night, so I went to the basketball game, and the head coach never came to talk to me. And the assistant coach was with me most of the day. And he said that the head coach is recruiting this this big guy because they need a big guy, and he's spending time with him. And I thought, well, Mom said I can't go here, and the head coach didn't talk to me, so I didn't go there. Yeah,
0: that's kind of stupid for the coach to not talk to you. Yeah. I mean, he really missed out on a great – no. <laughs> John, going back to you growing up, did you did you grow up in Abigail's? No, I grew up on, on Maple Street.
1: That was the home that my parents bought. Uh, and I lived there – I don't know, probably till I was maybe in the fifth grade. Okay. Um, and then, you know, my parents uh, took care of foster children. Yeah. And, uh, you know, all of my life, they, there, were, there were foster children there, uh, even to the point where the, we adopted a couple. But uh, their mission changed from these regular, you know, kids without parents to... Uh, medical dependent kids you know my dad was a nurse anesthetist and Mm -hmm. my mother was a nurse and my mom had this just ridiculous insight for things Mm -hmm. and uh you know usually what she started went full circle and she almost seemed to be ahead of her ahead of her time and like the decisions she made like she started the danville child development center where it is today really i didn't know that yeah she started that her and another woman Uh and uh you know when she sort of grew out of that you know the abigail house became available and they bought it and you know she had this vision of taking medical dependent kids kids that were not sick enough to be in the hospital uh but too sick to be at home right so it was like a respite care for these parents, but you know we had some pretty involved kids, uh, re- ventilator kids, and
2: uh, oh really, you had kids in the home with a ventilator? Yeah, yeah, it wow. was
1: it was crazy. And what started with one, and was your was your mom a nurse? Yeah, 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 she was a nurse. Then from, moved yeah. to two, to yeah. three. So yeah. literally, the downstairs of that house, growing up, the Abigail House, which is which is a you know I, yeah. an iconic place because yeah. it's where Abigail Geisinger lived, yeah. was like a a small intensive care unit. So right. uh, there were nurses around the clock there. My parents did, you know, the work. My dad would work all day, come home and uh, take care of kids. So, and, you know, with a staff of, you know, my mom and a couple other uh, private duty nurses, Yeah, they took care of these kids. And then on top of that, she started another daycare center in her house. So oh, wow. it was kind of neat because the residents... That were coming into danville who were having these children you know the you know male uh, husband and wife resident uh doctors right. came into here because they were looking for child care and they saw this environment and they thought oh my gosh this is like the best to blend right their children with these these other medical dependent kids and it worked uh so there was just a slew of these residents that would come in needing child care and they would, there'd be a daycare center going on and this intensive care thing going on. And my mom had daycare staff. She knew how to do it because of, uh, you know, the experience that she had with, uh, starting the Danville child development center and, uh, these other kids, it was like, it's, and, and I grew up during that era when all this was happening. Right. Uh, and there's still doctors here today whose kids are 35, 40, who experienced that. And uh, they still talk about it. Like it was like so good yeah, uh, yeah. in order for that, you know, just the blend. So they, they, they go for walks downtown because Abigail House is on center street. Right. And they'd have kids with ventilators and carriages and they'd have wagons with normal kids, you know? So it was, it was interesting, you know, for me, you know, and I, I was like a teenager going in through my high school years. Like that was normal to me. Right. Uh, you know i never let it like like uh f- make my my uh, relationship with my parents foggy i thought what they were doing was cool it made me who i was mm-hmm. and even as i look back on it now today uh I, w- I would want nothing other than to grow up in that environment again yeah so they had a calling um you know there were days they missed my little league games and mm. my track meets and stuff like that but i knew what they were doing and and kids back then were a little bit more independent. Like they ride your bike to the league field and right. do yeah. their game and ride your bike back. And they showed, they showed. And yeah. they didn't, you know, I mean, it, it wasn't because I didn't feel like they didn't love me. Right. You know, they were just, they were doing their thing and uh, I accepted it. And that, that was normal to me. Yeah.
2: That's amazing. So. It's it it, it, really it was it cool.
0: Yeah, yeah I, I didn't I didn't realize it was that extensive, and I guess maybe oh, just, a, deep. Yeah, yeah, just deep. Yeah, and just and just and just because you know a lot of our listeners aren't from from the area, so just mm-hmm. to kind of detail this a little bit more, the the house that we're talking about, John growing up in the we we were referring, we call it the Abigail House, right. um, was was owned by Abigail. Geisinger, yeah. who started the Geisinger Health System. Well, first, the, the, the George F. Geisinger Memorial Hospital, which has now grown into one of the major healthcare systems in Pennsylvania. It consists yeah. of, uh, what do we have now, seven or eight different hospitals and hundreds and hundreds of outpatient clinics mm-hmm. and, and tons and tons of other services that, that cover kind of central PA and uh, northeast PA. Um, right. And she, she started the hospital because um, with, with their wealth at the time, she was she was paying to take people from the Danville community to other major cities to get top level health care. Right. And after she did this for some period of time, she's like, w- "Why am I doing this?" Like these people, even though we're in a rural area, need top- level health care. And so she, mm-hmm. she started her own hospital. She went and recruited a doctor and she built a hospital and, yeah, in memory of her of her uh, of, of her husband. And so the house that John's talking about is the house that Abigail lived in whenever she was starting. Guys in yeah. your health system, yeah, it's yeah, it's which a, is really uh, really uh, cool um, to, to see that house then get all right purpose right. to do what what your parents yeah, were amazing. doing amazing, is, right? yeah that's my yeah, that's, my that's parents
1: cool. had a very strong faith mm-hmm. yeah my mom and my dad my dad grew up Catholic uh, yep. my mom was Lutheran and when they got married nobody was going to the wedding <laughs> so uh, but you know, they sucked it up and they went but uh, they were definitely you know people of strong faith and you know questioning my dad I've heard him you know talk about you know why he bought into all this and you know when when my mom's name was Nancy she would pitch another one of her her brilliant ideas um and she said it was you know, it was a calling from God. Who was he to dis? Who, who was he to disagree with <laughs> yeah. a calling from God that we're going to do this? How do Sounds comp- like Ray. How and, do you compete with that. <laughs> uh, so sure enough, next thing you know, they're they're back into the next level of my mom's right. uh, You know, mission and yeah. it was she her mission was right here in Danville. Yeah. So a lot of those kids came from you know Philadelphia from Chop and mm-hmm. and whatnot. So they weren't necessarily local Geisinger kids um but they came from from the city so she had she worked through agencies uh through through some of the hospitals in the cities and you know some of those kids were pretty sick so there were times when we as kids you know me and my sister primarily i have two older brothers that have since had gone uh you know, we'd wake up, come down to, in the, in the morning and one of the kids were gone because they, they passed because they were, you know, their metabolic disorders were so severe that, you know, they were just sort of, you know, being taken care of in a home environment and, you know, the uh, prognosis wasn't necessarily good, but they had excellent care uh, up until that time. So my mom was, you know, she was definitely a visionary and, uh, uh, um, I'm, I'm very proud to be who I am today because of, you know, the relationship I had with my parents. I feel blessed to have been born into that family. Yeah. So, uh,
0: I, I was going to ask grow, growing up in that environment. Like how, how do you feel that's made you help make you and mold you into the man that you are today? Oh, you,
1: I, I think I'm super
0: sensitive.
1: Uh, uh I, I think, you know, I, I think I'm a caring individual. Uh, so, you know, I, it impacts you. You you are who you are because of the experiences you have growing up. Uh, you know, none of us, you know, you, Nevin, me, didn't grow up with, you know, we all have our, our personalities and, you know, the things that were rough growing up for ourselves personally. And, uh, you know, it, it all just comes together in terms of, you know, who, who we are. Mm-hmm. So... You know, it was it was just good. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, it, it's it's an incredible story so far. So I mean, it's amazing, right? i mean, just getting started. The, yeah, and um,
1: <laughs> yeah, this is to go for a while. Yeah, yeah, that's okay.
2: We have no time limit, although we do have a guy at eight thirty. Yeah, so we got a while.
1: But but you know the, the, you know back to you know they still had time for me. It's not yeah. like I was like you know they were taking care of all these kids and they didn't recognize my needs. They right. always recognized. You know, mm-hmm. all of our needs, you know, uh, I've got two biological brothers uh, and two adopted sisters, you know, that are younger than me that, that, you know, uh, at the time were a decision based on the circumstance that uh, we're going to adopt these two kids. We're yeah. not, these, these ones aren't going back into the system. We're going to, okay. are going to take care of Are your brothers
2: them. older than you or younger than yeah, you? Yeah,
1: older than me. Older than you, okay. And, you know, uh, my sister that's closest to me in age, I'm 58, I think she's 53 or 54 Mm -hmm. um you know she was just she was came to the house when she was six months and they just felt like you know oh boy
2: six months so she didn't know anything else but that yes yeah
1: um and then my youngest sister who's adopted her name's radina uh she came to us with pretty severe cerebral palsy uh parents didn't want her to go back into the system and they took legal custody of her, you know, so she was still kind of subsidized and had what she needed, uh, but she lives in a group home now in Catawissa, and uh, unfortunately, my parents have both passed, mm-hmm. And uh, but I am her connection to family, and I'm probably closer to my two younger sisters than I am to my two older brothers, uh, you know, so uh, I visit Ray Dana probably every couple weeks, and mm-hmm. she comes for the holidays, and but she's independent and she's an adult and she lives in a group home mm-hmm. in Katawissa, You know, I'm, I'm very close to her. And, uh, like I said, uh, everybody needs family and connection and I am her yeah. family and connection. And she nice. knows it. So well, that's great.
2: Now, when you were growing up, was the high school where the middle school is now? Yes. So you were pretty close to school.
1: It was great living in town. Yeah. I got away with murder living in town. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. It was kind of funny. Cause, uh, all my friends that lived out of town wanted to come into town, so I was like the, oh, yeah. the connection. And the house was so big that we could get lost in that house. Right?
0: Was that the bloody third where you were? The bloody third. The was it? So I, my understanding is Danville. Back in the day, was oh. divided into wards, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and the third ward was called the bloody, yeah, that the bloody, the bloody third. third like but, all the tu- all the tough kids were. You oh, like, didn't, right. didn't screw with the dude. from 3rd the, the bloody third. That I was didn't know Legit that. in like the seventies. <laughs> Wasn't that 70s. that section of town? Right. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But
1: uh, not so much any. When, when yeah, by the time right. we got there, it was it was pretty mellow. And, all those kids were in jail. And, well, <laughs> the ward scores were closing, so they essentially had Mahoney Cooper. They had uh what else did they have riverside there was an elementary school in riverside and liberty valley okay so was that there in the 80s yeah that was there and it, it had gotten revamped um and then they had the high school where the middle school is now the junior high the high school was was 10th 11th and 12th the junior high was 8th and 9th and that's where on market street that you know school district no longer what was the danville elementary right and they built the deal school which is where the high school is now and that was as anyone who grew up and went to the deal school in elementary school that was an open space concept school (laughs) and uh it was great so they started closing down all those ward schools mahoney cooper stayed open uh riverside was open liberty valley was open for those regions but all the town kids uh went to the deal school yeah so but it was it was cool yeah
2: so you know i was thinking about it today i don't know why i can't remember why but um i I was i'm glad that i live in danville now i didn't grow up here but i'm glad i live in danville i'm glad my kids were we when we same thing you know we got robin and i got married and we're having kids like this is a great place to raise a family and uh, i thought boy i would never want danville to all of a sudden grow like say the population tripled or something. Like that. First yeah. of all, the roads wouldn't handle it. But, yeah. uh, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't want that. I like the small town culture.
0: Mm, it's a, it's a good size.
2: Yeah, nice. and it's an it's a place where those all the crazy riots and all that <laughs> Black Lives Matter stuff and all those things that didn't touch us. Mm-hmm. You know that mostly because it's a very homogeneous uh, culture here. You know, you're mostly conservatives kind of thing. But uh, but you know that we didn't. None of that touched us. Yeah. You know, it's like, that's like out there somewhere.
0: Yeah. So, when, when Denise and I moved here, like I, I, we really thought this was probably like a temporary stop for us. You know, it right. kind of got us close, close to home. Like we were like an hour away and it's like, ah, we'll probably end up back in the Penns Valley State College mm-hmm. area. And like within a year or two, it's like, no, this like, this is, this is home. You. Yeah. We had no right. interest whatsoever of going anywhere. And then when kids came along, then that was. Like that just cemented it. It's like yeah. Danville. Danville is home for right. us at this point, yeah. and uh, it'd be really, really tough to leave. Yeah, uh, because you're just so tied into the community and friends and and uh, I left. I know, came. The back. history. Yeah, you did. You <laughs> left and you missed. I called them. you every week. That's right. <laughs> I want
2: to come back. <laughs> so, uh, John, in high school, you you ran track and stuff. You said that track and dyslexia consumed you, so you had yeah. to deal with that.
1: Right. Right. Well. You know, again, my parents, being who they are, uh, recognized that I had a reading disability when I was, like, in first grade. Mm -hmm. You know, like, something wasn't adding up with with stuff and, uh, you know, recognized, you know, that I wasn't learning the way I, I, you know, my brothers were and uh, had me tested. And sure enough, I, I tested for dyslexia. So... You know, and that's, so that, that was in the first grade. So I repeated first grade Mm -hmm. and they started, uh, sending me to Bloomsburg University every day in the summer for reading clinics. And on, uh, on during the school year, I was up there every Saturday in the morning doing reading clinics. So, you know, uh, the fact that we're we're talking like 71, 72, and they recognize that and, and got me the help I needed was was pretty you know definitely a part Uh, of my story and how did you do that right like how did you know because you know you know which is kind of funny because uh I am a teacher I'm a I'm a special education teacher I'm a learning sport teacher so I work with these guys every day these these kids with these specific learning disabilities and they don't go get noticed sometimes until you know late elementary middle school even sometimes in high school where 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 t- kids start to get tested yeah. and uh, in first grade you're barely yeah. reading. Well, that yeah. and it was the early seventies. I, I, I'm glad and, like, you
0: I'm glad you said that because I was just I, I was waiting for a pause before you went there because I was going to ask like in the seventies I'm like you know w- like when did dyslexia really start right. getting exactly. recognized Yeah, and like treatment right being, becoming available because right. I was thinking like this has to be well, pretty obviously, early. Obviously, in,
1: it was there because Bloomsburg University had reading clinics. Right. Yeah, so yeah. I spent all my downtime it seems or whatever you know up there yeah. you know, like in the summers like i said and, and on saturdays uh, you know being you know learning phonetics which i never learned because once you have it it's just you, there's no phonetic sense yeah. for for individuals with with dyslexia but what we do have is we get real resourceful and uh we learn how to you know use our everything around us in order to to learn so Know. That's fascinating.
2: I I don't know a lot about dyslexia, but it seems like it almost be like learning to read a different language.
1: Well, yeah. That, well, there's a lot of great people that have dyslexia. And, sure, sure. Uh, it's just a, like like it's a, it's a reading disability, and like you know, you transpose numbers, letters, or you know, and it's a it's a visual processing issue, uh, and you can't sound words out. So every word that most dyslexic have are it's a it's a memorized sight word. Mm-hmm. So you know, and that's how we read. Like, it's a recognized sight word. I still come across words today that I'm looking at, like, what is that word? Yeah. You know? And, uh, but, you know, so I went through elementary school, middle school, high school, and it it was not an easy experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in the Danville School District, because as it is today, even back you know, in the, in the eighties, you know, late seventies and eighties, it, it was a pretty good school in terms of, uh, standards in, in academics because, mm-hmm. you know, I think the Geisinger, you know, there, you know, brings in a lot of, you know, genetically intelligent people mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, sure. There's a, you know, there's a demographic here that, uh, uh shows you know the range of of you know intellectual abilities in danville but there are you know there's a strong group that mm-hmm. you know that have that are pretty smart and you know being as an athlete in danville i ran with that group so yeah. um you know i ran with the Ackermans, i ran with the martins i ran with the malloys you know and uh uh you know it was my peer group yeah so these guys are
0: tied fishing line to door knockers and uh, yeah 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 But, (laughs) but they
1: were they were going to Virginia and they were going to Penn State and they were going to you know all these great schools and they were visiting colleges they were being recruited right uh and I and yeah we you know I ran track and I was quite good at it and I was also being recruited for track uh but you know uh i had to be a little bit more selective as to where i was going sure. not that those schools weren't interested they were but you know i couldn't i don't know if i could have handled it so you know i got into susquehanna and i got into uh, uh millersville and i got into moravian and yeah i got into you know a, a few schools but they were seriously interested in my running ability yeah and uh you know, we don't want to talk about my SAT scores because <laughs> standardized exams and, and dyslexia just were, yeah they don't, don't, they, they don't go together. Yeah. But, um, so my dad and I, you know, were visiting these schools because the coaches were like calling even back in 1984 is what, when, when this was, was happening. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, went to visit Millersville, and they seemed to be a little bit more interested in me academically than athletically because they wanted me to go to summer school to learn how to go to college before oh. I went to college because they saw what my SAT scores were, they saw what my <laughs> grades my- <laughs> were, and uh, we've decided that was a pretty good fit. Mm-hmm. And that Gotta keep this guy eligible. It was a great yeah. fit. Yeah, and I thrived there. Um, you know, it was kind of funny. I, I hardly was able to. You know, I passed everything in high school, but it, none of it made sense. And then as soon as I went there, it was almost like I was able to start over mm. and uh, decide I was going to be a biology major. <laughs> oh, I was a biology wow. major. Yeah, I was yeah. a bio major. Yeah. I became a bio major, and I literally started from square one mm-hmm. uh, with some of the math and sciences. Yeah. And, uh, you know, using, again, my resources, tutors, uh, you know, got through the program. I ended up getting a bachelor's of science in biology and a minor in chemistry. And, uh, you know, what kept me grounded was the four years I ran track there. Mm -hmm. Um, because it gave me a a group to associate with. It gave me self esteem. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, we traveled up and down the East coast running, you know, invitationals. And back then they had dual meets, you know, with other, the other state schools. But, um, I would go back. And, and relive that. So Millersville,
2: that's a Division II score. It right? was
1: Division II school, yeah. uh, and you know, I mean, I was I was pretty successful, you know, in, in my event. Um, and what event was it? Uh, primarily the four hundred, but I ran the two hundred, and sometimes they would put me in the four x one, mm-hmm. and occasionally I'd run an eight hundred. But my 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 main event was the same event that I ran in high school, which was the four hundred. Mm-hmm. Um, lived for it, passionate mm-hmm. about it. Uh, thought about it day and night, and uh, you know, as any athlete, they have their you have. We have our our rituals, you mm. know, pre <laughs> pre and post
0: meet. I was just gonna ask. All right, so. true or false? All right, true or false? And we Spielberg we might have to edit it out. Edit this <laughs> out. All right, true or false? Did you? Uh, or yes or no? Sorry, I, I know yes or no. That's true. Did you compete in the yes, Millersville true. Naked Relays?
1: Yes, that's a true. That's true. <laughs> the Millersville <laughs> Metrics had a uh, had an Invitational every year, and it was I'm trying to think. It was it. It was right after the pen relays, or right it, yeah. before the. Penn they relays.
0: still those meets still exist.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, and we would do the pen relays, and then we come back, and we would run the metrics, and that night. Um, <laughs> I got, um, I got no more details about this. At, well. That that <laughs> he night, he wants to sign up. He wants <laughs> to go. No, oh, if, if we have any Millersville <laughs> University track and field uh, listeners, <laughs> listeners, we would we would party that evening mm-hmm. and um, end up on the track, co-ed, and we would do the nude relays. It was a really? Co-ed? Co-ed. Oh, my yeah. Lord. I'm we just going to do that with a bunch of guys. Well, so. <laughs> I'm just surprised you got the girls to do it. <laughs> oh, they were the ones that were, you know, provoking it the most really? throughout the whole day. We're doing the, the nude relays, right? I should have right, ran right. track. Should have so, went to Millersville for basketball. <laughs> <went> Millersville. <laughs> but, yeah, that that has been going on for years and years and years and years and years. Now, the boys... Now, wait know, a minute. So,
2: what was the post-race r- ritual then?
1: drinking (laughs) okay (laughs) (laughs) partying and uh getting ourselves in a frame of mind that you know we were going to do is college life yeah so um but
2: i don't know all i know is a bunch of people running naked together
1: it might be with uh, a baton and (laughs) we 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 had we had our sneakers on okay yeah we didn't put (laughs) our spikes on but uh crazy story though um the one of the years we did it um there was a a distance runner and I won't say any names, but we, we were all doing it. It was we were in a, in the middle of it, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the steeplechase barriers were kind of oh no it was oh. off, but it wasn't oh. off off. That's a bad height. And and this distance runner nailed one of the steeplechase oh. barriers, and he, he really hurt himself pretty bad. Uh, <laughs> that so, is a bad height. <laughs> so the, uh, the we got pretty reamed out for the mm-hmm. the nude relays. That night, but, <laughs> you know we'd break into the track and you know i mean yeah i mean the cops had to know they were they were going on and you know we we'd think we were getting away with something by getting in there and doing it real quick and getting out yeah so uh it wasn't like you you know it was it was dark it was like now is there a midnight. specific day that you do this like yeah the night the night the, after the metrics. night of, oh you yeah, said the, that the night so, i don't know it, what the, the metrics meets on and, Saturday. Did, and
0: did the other schools stick around for this or was this just the millers so, this kids? was just
1: this was just millers
0: fault. what's the metrics okay it's it's just a meet like, right. okay. track and field is me- is, the- okay. So I know you're a little old. We <laughs> okay. don't, we don't measure track and field events in yards <laughs> or meters, feet yeah, anymore. Know. Everything's in meters. Yeah. So it's the metric system. So they just, Millersville metrics. It just kind of rolls off the tongue.
1: Right. Uh, okay. So, so yeah, yeah. Um, Does this
2: happened more than once a season.
1: No, just once. And okay, you know, unfortunately, the, the I mean. Boys' track and field at Miller'sville was was great back in the eighties, you know, and a lot of the state schools. state schools had great, you know, athletics and and track and field. You know, definitely fit the mold of that. Um, and you know, because of Title IX, they they dropped their program. And, they dropped it. Yeah, yeah, the boys' program. It's oh, it's super, wow, super sad. Um, and I I follow, you know, Miller, Miller'sville track and field, and every time I get a chance to plug. You know, bringing the boys' program, but and I, I definitely, and they're always like very, you know, yeah, we know we need to do it, but it's sort of out of our control with the, with the coaching staff there. But they sort of know who I am when I plug in uh, on times to like, come on, like, it, it doesn't cost that much money to, to right. run the program, and there's actually been some people who um, were very successful that we're going to willing to subsidize the whole boys' track and field program, but they, you know rules of title nine i guess they 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 weren't allowed to do it yep but uh but millersville was great you know and if i backtrack a little bit to danville days of track and field yeah uh you know that was just that's that's where it all started Mm -hmm. you know and that's you know in terms of uh developing who i am and my in self-esteem and confidence that's really where it's where it happened in in for in danville track and field you know i was always athletic i played baseball and football but and i wrestled for danville and those those you know gridiron you know glory days of the 80s where there were yeah. multiple years can yeah. yeah danville had um, some
2: serious wrestling program right but
1: you know i ran cross country for jeff brandt uh wrestled and then did track uh, mm-hmm. barry sodell was the the boys track coach oh he was back. coaching in the 80s yeah he, yeah he wow. was the boys coach okay. jeff I uh, was an assistant coach, and then eventually took over the girls' program. Right, um, but just phenomenal, phenomenal time in my life uh, of independence. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, and it all went hand in hand. The academics, dealing with all that crazy stuff at home, yeah, uh, which I thought was great. And uh, track and field—that was my bread and butter. That every day it was the same, same stuff, and uh, thoroughly. Uh, loved every every moment of it and then realized i wanted to run in in college like you know you you think you you're in control of your life but you're like it's amazing how you uh you know things just take a course sure and as you look back on it now it's just like wow that was so awesome that it happened like that yeah but you know i had no idea you know i mean i was even gonna run you know i played baseball all my life Mm -hmm. I, i i literally you know decided that I was going to run track as a, as a ninth grader. And as crazy as that is, um, we, uh, I, was, I was the first Danville ninth grader to, to let her. So, you know, so at back then, Danville did awards, like big awards assembly. So the ninth grade was at the junior high, so the high school was 10th, 11th, 12th. So myself, at this end-of-the-year award assembly, myself, Jim Martin, and Rob Mort- Malloy went down to the uh, high school – awards assembly because they lettered in wrestling i I lettered in track and uh so we were three freshmen that got the Mm. you know we thought we were like you know big stuff big stuff going down to the high school and being with all these high school kids and we all had you know letter letters you know back then it was a serious business yeah and yeah they uh they just didn't give them out so the fact that that happened uh was just set me on a course right so on on this whole Running course and I ran cross country, but I was like every other sprinter that ran cross country, (laughs) it was painful and I hated it, but I did it to get to stay in shape. And now you're
2: coaching cross country,
1: I coach middle school cross country. Jeff still is the varsity coach, right? And uh, but I had the opportunity to you know, um, become a teacher, and that's we can talk about that if you want, yeah, Uh, yeah.
2: So you, you finished at Millersville, we got a degree in biology. How'd you end up being a teacher?
1: Well. It's, that's, that's a wild story in itself because uh, I, I didn't become a teacher right away. I didn't even do anything with my science degree right away. I kind of decided that I was going to just travel around the United States. All right. And uh, I uh, I had a friend who he's actually my godparent's uh, son who was a North Face rep. And uh, when I was a senior in college, he said, I'm going out to climb Mount Rainier in uh, in the summer. You want to come? And he knew I was fit, and mm-hmm. uh, I said, "Yeah, sure." I didn't even know what Mount Rainier was. You know, I was like okay, I never left the East Coast, right? So he and I, who and he's he was good at all this stuff, climbing and whatnot. And why he asked me to go, that you know, was beyond me. But this is just a whole nother world that, that I fell into. Uh, fly out to Seattle mountain was socked in we actually hitchhiked to mount rainier and uh got ourselves set up and um you know we took a you know he made me take a one day snow and ice school he, he had our he already knew how to do it but he knew that i needed some rope skills and whatnot and we had done some rock climbing in the you know uh prior to that and you know wrestling and you know i did a lot of gymnastics as a kid i, I definitely had the strength to do it but uh all of a sudden, you know, we're at this campsite <laughs> and the clouds um, go away. And when you see Mount Rainier for the first time, <laughs> yeah, like, like your jaw hits the ground. Like, it's you've got to be kidding me. It's That's what we're doing. Yeah, we're gonna climb to the top of that. This ain't no trail hike, right? Like, this is snow and ice, heavy glaciers, uh, altitude and death every year yeah yeah and uh you know so it's just like okay guess we're doing this and just another thing and you know sure enough um we got to uh high camp which is a high camp it's like a standard route um and we got to this place called camp Muir, named after john Muir. and uh that's just kind of like a boot path you know you're on snow and ice but you just hike up to this this uh camp which is where the ranger station is and the guide service kind of uses it because rmi rainier mountaineer incorporated which was one of the oldest uh climbing uh, uh services in the united states um, guides out of at a on mount rainier and they had exclusive rights to it because of uh the whitakers who started that company who were multi multi-time everest summiters oh so they all were housed out there but anyways we get up to camp Muir, and at that point now you can see the crevasses you can see (laughs) the steepness of everything and it's like it goes from night to day in terms of the the technical ability of this so we're up there and i'm you know we're hanging out and talking to all the other climbers and there was a, a a guy up there uh named bob fisher who i'm still in contact with uh and I'm I'm 22 at the time, and uh, he says he, he was looking for a couple guys to climb with because you really need to do this on a you're on a rope team, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, you're all traveling together on this rope team, and uh, and this is just this is my first
0: experience on Rainier. Are you having second thoughts at this point?
1: Oh, definitely. So <laughs> so Bob Fisher introduces himself. So he's summited a few times, uh, and. But my friend Tom has not, but he's done other stuff. And me, I'm completely green, looking at this like I'm, mm-hmm. like I'm a newborn. <laughs> and uh, so we agree, it, we, and we rope up. You know, you got out of, out of our tent at midnight and went for the summit, and we were, you know, negotiated all that stuff and uh, summited at about 6 o'clock in the morning and went back down, got back down to Camp Muir, which is like the safe zone, and mm-hmm. I was hooked. Yeah. Like I yeah. was hooked, and so from twenty two to even currently, <laughs> I still go out there and climb. So, oh, do you I, really? I, I've had I've had eleven summits on Rainier since that first climb, and I've actually climbed everything in the Pacific Northwest. It, it, you know, there's a whole chain of of uh, glaciated peaks out there. But uh, so, how high is Rainier? Fourteen thousand. But it's it's yeah. the most massive glaciated mountain in the continental United States, you yeah. know, other than McKinley. It's a training ground for Everest climbers, right. for yeah. McKinley climbers. So, you know, I, it, I took some clinics and I was out there and, and, so literally for a decade, seriously, um, I was, I was, uh, traveling around climbing, just living life. Did uh, you
2: climb anywhere outside the United States?
1: Uh, no, never did. I didn't have to. Because right. yeah, sure. you know, I I was in you know Jackson Hole, was in Tetons. You know, there, there's enough here to to, right. to feed whatever desire you have. You don't. You know, I didn't have to. You know, the, the funny thing is, it's like, well, why didn't you leave Pennsylvania? Like, the thought crossed my mind, but for some reason, I was so grounded to Danville and my yeah. support system here. Yeah that wasn't an option. So I was able to go out literally for 3 or 4 weeks at a time, get a huge fix and then come back. And used st- to you started taking other people out, right? Oh yeah, I took all, I've taken all kinds of Danville people out there. Right. Green just like me uh-huh. and it was just like they'd be talking about the Adirondacks and I'd be like, dude, you got no idea. Adirondacks <laughs> are nothing. You know, come with me, yeah. you know, and and uh, Jeff Schultz, which is one of my good friends and Greg Ridinger, we've all, you know, another good friend in Danville, had no idea. And, you know, I was able to share that experience with him. So multiple c- climbs, uh, mostly successful attempts when I was on it. And uh, so, I was just
0: going to ask, how many times have, were you not able to summit because of the weather?
1: Uh, just a few. We were only ever turned back a few times.
0: Do you usually go that you have a couple days that you can ride it out if you need to? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: There were times we were on, we were on that mountain for five days waiting for the snow to stop or, mm. you know, conditions to be right because, I mean, even if even if you're climbing in July, like it's snowing, it can be the, the wind can be you know pretty voracious. Um, did a winter ascent in February one year. We in it was actually I think I want to say 1990. We were the first the first team up in February. Uh, wow in 1990. There was a Piper Cub that had crashed in the in the crater. They had airlifted the the bodies off. The people didn't make it. And but we we went down and we looked at the plane and stuff in the crater because the cr- crater is all full of snow and ice, so wow. so you know doing it you know for the past you know twenty two to fifty seven whatever I don't know a bunch of years, um, never wanted my kids to do it, never exposed them to climbing, mm-hmm. uh, never wanted them to see it, to breathe it, to taste it, nothing because I didn't I didn't want to be. I, I don't want to hear any – I didn't want to hear – any get any phone calls, so to speak, or whatever. Right, yeah. So, but they knew, you know, I had pictures. They knew that, that this was a part of my life. And even as as they were little, you know, I'd get phone calls from my, my climbing buddies. Hey, we're meeting. Do you want to you want to be a part of the team? And be like, yeah. So I still did it. Not as much, but I, I would still – every couple of years, I'd go out and, mm. and bag a summit somewhere out there. And uh, so – you know, I raised my kids. I've got I've got three three biological children. You know, Nathan, Tyler, and Emily. And uh, you know, we traveled all over the country, saw all the national parks. Uh, they were all really good athletes. We skied and snowed, you know, all winter long. And we in British Columbia, and Colorado, and you know, Vermont, all the great places. And uh, so they them being you know strong and seeing the country and. Uh, you know they eventually grew up they eventually went to college they eventually got careers mm-hmm. and like they eventually didn't want to come back to danville <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they eventually wanted to go to the mountains oh yeah so so i you know tyler graduated uh from iup in nursing and my daughter emily graduated from iup in nursing and nathan graduated from penn state and he's a he's like a software engineer Worked in Manhattan, lived in Brooklyn. And then COVID hit, and uh, he was working from home in Brooklyn. So, in the meantime, uh, you know, those two nurses uh, one was in Salt Lake, one was in Seattle, and they were traveling and, you know, uh, you know doing the whole skiing and mountain biking, you know, out there and uh, seeing all these mountains mm-hmm. you know, and falling in love with, you know, the big peaks and and being on them and being exposed to them uh and you know when emily was in washington there's was this mountain called crystal lake or crystal mountain and it's a bird's eye view of mount rainier mm-hmm. and they'd ski it all winter long and you know like they were just we love this mountain it's beautiful to look at and it came up mm-hmm. dad will you take us up? Mm-hmm. dad will you take us up? and they're adults you know And, uh, and I thought, "Mm, yeah, let's do it. So, um, Tyler's in Salt Lake, you know, Emily's in Seattle. And we had decided that we weren't going to invite Nathan. (laughs) So city boy. Yeah. Well, (laughs) yeah, he was in the city. He was ready to transition. He now lives in Denver because he was tired of, uh, living through them. You know, because he, he had just as much exposure to the mountains as those guys did. Yeah. Uh and he was tired of of Manhattan and Brooklyn. And uh back to the COVID, COVID happened. He was stationary, didn't have to go back into the office, and he made uh, a beeline to Denver. So he now lives in Denver, mm-hmm. skiing every weekend, mountain biking and traveling all over, you know, Colorado and and now just thoroughly enjoying, you know, that the aspect of what the other two were doing so back to Rainier Emily's like dad this is a beautiful mountain will you take us and you know it was just like okay let's do this and literally did not invite Nathan mm-hmm. be, for reasons <laughs> of if something happens to us on the mountain at least there's somebody left Some, behind Someone's got you to know, continue on and the Bella name it didn't really work <laughs> out for his schedule either but yeah. you know w- we kind of like chuckle about like ah well Nathan can carry the name So, so, you know, I had 10 summits on Rainier and, uh, and, you know, now, now I'm taking my kids up who hadn't, you know, a little bit of climbing experience, a little bit of snow and ice, but really didn't know the extent of what we were about ready to do other Mm -hmm. than looking at it from a distance and uh, decided we were going to go to this, this, do the standard route to Camp Muir. Uh, And there's another camp above Camp Muir. So Camp Muir is like... You, you go from like about, you know, high 4,000 to 10,000 to Camp Muir. And then most people climb from Camp Muir to the summit and back down the Muir. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a campsite on the Ingraham Flats, which is a glacier uh, that's relatively flat. That's like a 1,000 feet above Camp Muir. So me being old and, you know, uh, I thought we would, you know, in, in the, the summit day being shorter, uh, we'd go from Camp Muir. So we got the Muir. Spent the night, got up the next morning, moved our camp to the Ingraham Flats, and then from from Ingraham Flats is like twelve thousand five. So we went from ten to twelve five, or a little, about twelve thousand, and then um, from twelve thousand we went up to fourteen five, and then back down to the Ingraham Flats. So that was just in in, in you know, moved to camp to to the Ingraham Flats, got up at midnight and took off, and we were on the summit, we climbed through the night, and, uh, with headlamps, uh, and, you know, we were negotiating all kinds of goofy stuff, and you could see what we were going around and stuff, and there were some ladders set up by the 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 guiding service that we were, you know, and running crevasses and stuff, and summited, and, you know, kind of like, you know, it was the, it was the best experience, uh, you know, doing like all these summits and all this stuff i did by myself with all these friends was cool but when you can experience that with your kids yeah you know getting to the summit and they're like oh my gosh we did this yeah you know and them looking at it from a distance for so long and it was it was probably one of the best highlights of my entire life Mm. yeah um being with with those guys on on the summit of rainier and when was that uh, it was two years ago yeah. years ago yeah, yeah two years ago. Um, so now
2: does Nathan want to go?
1: Uh, he doesn't really talk about it, but he would go he's he's a he's a true adventurer. Um, if we did it again, we would definitely make him a part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was kind of cool with not going um, and uh, you know he's had other experiences but uh, it was it was phenomenal that experience with them.
2: I remember years ago, um, I don't know. Did you take? Did you ever take Chris Gilbert and Ed Woods with you? The two surgeons no, they, I worked with. They went up. They, they they went up. They but, got turned uh, back though. They never. Yeah, did they guys, they were with.
1: They were with the RMI guide service. Yeah, and I and I talked to Chris and and Ed Wood extensively about it when they were doing it.
2: Yeah, you lived near Chris, right? I did. I yeah. did,
1: and I thoroughly love Chris Gilbert. Yeah, everybody loved um, that guy. Yeah, um, he was he was awesome to be around. Um, mm-hmm. But adventurers.
2: Yeah. yeah. And older uh, they, older in life <laughs> took, yeah. took up this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But there's a lot of people that, that I know, even, you know, there, there's a group of, of physicians at, at Geisinger who mm-hmm. have made multiple attempts at that and have not gotten up. So I, I'm just like, you know, it's kind of cool that every chance I get up, you know, weather's good. It cooperates. Mm-hmm. But
2: well, the reason I bring it up is because when they were doing it, I thought, because we were, we were going to church together. Right. And I saw you and I said, I said hey, I forget what I said. Like, I'm like, you know, I'd like, I'm interested or something. Like and I think you like tapped my bell and you said, well, you, you got to get in shape. <laughs> Did I say that to you? Yeah. <laughs> that definitely sounds like something I would say. And you were right. I would say. So, it's-
1: so, so that's kind of, that was kind of my 20s. And, uh, uh-huh. um you know, I told the story of my kids during, they were adults. But, you know, there was a lot of. A lot of climbing between 22 to 30. I got married, um, had my kids, and, you know, we, we still had a lot of great experiences. I mean, with my kids, we skied all over the country. Um, they mountain biked. We rode trials motorcycles. Um, we uh, did a lot of hiking. We did, you know, them growing up, we did this, you know, like, this two-month RV trip, you know, which was mm. which was cool. And it was kind of funny when they when we did that trip, I think Nathan and Tyler were and Emily, they were they were little. They were, I don't know, like maybe 10, mm-hmm. 10, 11. And uh, I took all three of them up to Camp Muir. We we started up real early and hiked up to Camp Muir and, and came back down. Um, but I got great pictures of them glissading, you know, oh. down the down the snow shoots and stuff on yeah. on the snow field at Camp Muir. Um but but we were always exposed, you know, I've always exposed them to you know naturally and it was that's like another thing like it just all just happened like right. none of it was planned it all just happened
2: so we started we started this mountaineering story because you were uh, got out of college to start traveling around the country yeah and you're going to get to how you became a teacher
1: oh yeah 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 well that was even later in life but i, I actually did get a job using my biology and chemistry degree a bunch of years and uh i hated it yeah
0: what was what was that doing
1: it was it was a company called anthracite industries over in snydertown we it was a coal uh, anthracite processing plant okay. and you know it, it was a legit lab you know gas chromatographers and gc's okay. and all this it other stabbed me in stuff. the ni- eye with a knife <laughs> and uh oh, my lord but uh i hated it yeah. I, I just was not happy doing it and uh Began doing some soul searching as to what I wanted to do with my life. And, um, you know, it was just one of those periods of your life. Like, you know. So I, I was I was running. I remember running a lot and, and doing a lot of thinking. And uh, I, I would be running, you know, I kids were sort of little. And I'd be running with them in joggers and stuff like that. And that that continued for, uh, for a few years. And I remember reading uh, like a U.S. News and World Report. You know how they always have those best colleges and yeah, careers yeah. and all kinds of goofy stuff i was like leafing through it and um there was this you know best jobs for like the time period and like special ed teacher there it was he's was like oh my gosh there it is that's what i want to do yeah and uh being that i grew up with dyslexia uh it was it made even more sense to me right. and i i remember graduating from school thinking i hated school so much that i would never want to be a teacher but that had passed with some of these life experiences and stuff like that and i saw this and so i thought okay i'm going to give this a shot took two classes up at bloomsburg just graduate classes Mm -hmm. i I was curious and fell in love with it literally like this is me and i learned more about myself in those two classes than i could have ever imagined and uh so uh, I applied for grad assistantship, got the grad assistantship. They paid for it. You know, I was working for one of the professors. Didn't have to pay for anything. I quit my job and went full on mm-hmm. and uh, got the, my master's degree in two years and had my pick of jobs. You know, as a male and special ed, this is like yeah. I was a minority. Had my pick of jobs. Obviously, I picked Danville. And at that point, uh, you know, my kids were, I don't know, they were like little still. I mean, we did that that RV trip. Uh, and I had become a teacher prior to that. So, cause I had my summers off. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, that's where I've been since. Yeah. And so like 2006, I, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. You something you, like you that. You started coaching too. Yeah. yeah. And co- yeah, Jeff Brandt and I started coaching right away. Um, you know, we had a middle school cross country program. He was trying to micromanage that coaching varsity and, He handed it to me and just said, here, this is yours. Mm -hmm. Uh, I modeled my program after his program and we had nothing but success. (laughs) Um, and again, it's just like, how did I get here? I'm looking here like, man, this life is, life is great. I truly enjoy life, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and I'm, I find myself in, in places that, you know, I feel like God has put me there. Right. And, uh, and, and, and I'm and I'm blessed yeah. beyond blessed with my life experiences the health of the people around me um, and I hope it continues you know I mean there's no perfect whatever and you know but I, I, I I've been given a lot even though I've had a lot of weird experiences in life but I've always looked at how positive things are yeah so I'm teaching coaching with Brant taking over the middle school program, helping with the varsity program, coaching, you know, I was an assistant track coach, you know, Barry was still coaching for a bunch of years and, uh, it's having fun, you know, and working with kids who I truly relate to, mm-hmm. you know, because of my own shortcomings.
2: Now you're, you're t- work with high school kids, high school. Yeah. yeah. I,
1: I've been, you know, I, I started at the middle school and I got moved up to the high school right away. And, uh, you know, I, I'm learning just learning support teacher. That's what they call us. Right. Uh, they call it, it's, it's under an exceptionality label. All right. Um, I really don't like the term special ed, you know, because mm-hmm. it, it, it goes way back. My master's degree is, is in exceptionalities K through 12. And exceptionalities covers anything from uh, moderate to severe uh, intellectual disabilities to gifted. I can, I can work in any of those capacities. Plus, I'm certified in biology and chemistry. Mm-hmm. They tried to pull me out a couple of times to, <laughs> to teach regular ed, and this is like, nope. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and, and, and I work in a field where people say there's burned out, but I truly feel like I have retired, and this is what I do to yeah. be, to keep myself busy, yeah. you
0: know? That's cool. I, I, a, a quote that I'll share, you probably don't even remember ever saying this, but I, I love the quote that I heard you say one time of it. With, with the and I, I know you're not a big fan of the special ed label but right. um, for the kids that you teach you use you use your quote was I just want to give them a level playing field yeah, yeah. and I I, I I don't know that quote spoke to me and I, I just loved, like that's that's right. what you're doing right you just you just want right. these kids to have the same opportunities right. as, um, I know in the classroom yeah. as the other kids Yeah,
1: you know because of, of my own learning disability I and, and there's a lot of kids at the high school Elementary, middle school, a lot of kids across the country that are dealing with mild learning disabilities. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it's not such a rare thing anymore. And it's identified today. And there is a boatload of them in every school district. And uh, I guess my gift is that I can see it.
2: Yeah. I was going to ask you in your job, do you get involved in identifying kids that may have it?
1: Uh, it's more of a school psychiatrist or yeah. psychologist. And, uh, but, but I know because I can tell people who are compensating and hiding right because I did it you know and uh I think I think you know and I don't want to brag but I think I'm good at what I do because um there's a there's a saying that you can see people at the door kids want to be seen at the door as they're coming in and they might be carrying all this baggage and uh like if you can see them and diffuse it right away and de-escalate whatever they're dealing with walking in the door because mm-hmm. of uh, what they're trying to hide, man. Their day is a lot better, and that's what I'm good at. So, and I, and again, I uh, only because I've lived the life, and uh, and so every day is a fun day for me at work. That's awesome. Um, and and literally, like I said, I feel like like I retired and I needed something to do, <laughs> and this is what I do. Yeah. Uh, and on top of that, um, I get to work with with cross country and track kids, which that's a whole nother world of just fun. Um, another <laughs> some world. Of, some of, fun. of my
0: kids' best days were with John Vella, either mm-hmm. middle school cross country or for Evan or Pong well, track the, and field. The beauty yeah. of, Great of high school
1: kids is they want to be treated like young adults. They yeah. don't want to be babied anymore. And they want to, they, right. they want to, they want, they, want, they want to be talked to like an adult. They want to be, you know, looked at and uh, just have a good time. And I, I walk the edge sometimes. I'll, I'll, I'll admit it, especially <laughs> with those track kids. But we have a good time and mm-hmm. we get results. Um, we work hard and we and we laugh a lot. Yeah. Uh, and in the meantime, um, like there's been very few seasons that, um, like, I can't get control of them. But when it comes time to race, it's like nothing I've ever seen. You know, it's just like, please, man, let me know when I can talk to the group. Mm-hmm. And they're still screwing around and screwing around. I'm going to be quiet. And when you say, when you're done and I can communicate with the whole group so I can say what I need to say about this meet coming up, let me know. So they eventually shut up. And, uh, but just horsing around all the time. But uh, coaching is definitely fun. And you're you're the head
2: coach of the track. I
1: am now. Barry has since retired and I took over his position and uh is that boys and 24 or? years i've been coaching middle school cross country and yeah. those middle school cross country kids have had quite the lesson of uh of of, of running <laughs> yeah because so. jeff, <laughs> <laughs> jeff never retires but but they're getting some really good coaching yeah you know i mean You've, uh,
0: you contributed to the success of the program by yeah. feeding kids into it right yeah but you know and getting you, hooked and at you can a young
1: age to it troy i mean elena and um uh, Evan. and we both came up through my program and decided that you know this is great yep. and you know Jeff definitely had his claws in them uh but you know it's the it's the positive fun experience that the middle school program can give them that you know carries them through to the high school program yeah that's so that's I, a that's a in g- that respect, great way to say it yeah and, in yeah. you know that's why Brant and I we work good together i mean we we have our moments uh but we have but. You know, ultimately, we're on the same field, and the longevity is what he wanted. You know, he wants somebody who's committed, and sure, I've been nothing but committed to to him mm-hmm. and and you know the program. And as a result, he's we we've, we've put together some pretty nice athletes.
2: You sure have, guys. we had so for our listeners who haven't listened to it, Jeff Brant was a guest in our podcast way back. Probably episode like four or five, four, yeah, yeah, somewhere around there. And uh, so he's the Jeff Brandt we're talking about. So if you don't know him, go back and listen to that podcast. Forty-five yeah.
1: years of coaching and yeah. just a buku amount of accolades. Yeah, yeah, too um, many, too many to mention. Thousands of kids under under his his reign of coaching. Yeah.
2: Multiple league championships, state championships, kids, individuals that had state mm-hmm. championships, yeah. including this past year, right, Rory. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Had a yeah. have a boy that ran the uh, won the state championship in the mile.
0: Cross country,
1: cross country. Oh, excuse me. Cross Danville, He's the first Danville cross country state champion Yeah,
0: and runner-up team champ, or runner-up team state champions, uh, both boys and girls. Yeah, this year. So, just pretty cool. Yeah.
1: So that kind of takes us up to current day. Um, you know, it's been a, it's been a, an amazing ride, and uh, it still continues.
2: So, you when you coach. Um the cross the middle school cross country team, you get boys and girls, right? Yeah. So, how do you deal with the difference between the boys and the girls?
1: Well, we've always had assistant coaches, and you know, treat them the same. It's fun. The objective is to provide a positive experience, teach them how to run, uh, teach them how to compete, uh, and have a, have a good time while you're doing it. Uh, you know, and you know, it's amazing what comes out of the woodwork. Uh, it's amazing what so many mediocre athletes turn into uh, that nobody knows anything about. And mm-hmm. turn them into these just phenomenal runners. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of funny because this group of seniors that I have right now um, is... I've got two kids on my track team uh, that are in the top 10 in the nation. Mm-hmm. One a sprinter and one a distance runner. Right? Uh, literally... Top ten in the nation, and that's not an easy thing to do. When you think of all the kids that run cross country, winter right. track, yeah. and track, and I've got two kids who and that's Rawls' son, right? Rawls' son. He's so. and he's he's going to Princeton to run, yeah. and he runs uh, two hundred, the hundred to two hundred. Yeah, uh, we were just at uh, a big invitational in Virginia last weekend, uh, actually last Saturday, and uh, Jackson won the 60 and the 200. Uh, his 200 time is is right now number 10 in the nation, uh, and he's not done yeah. pushing that time down. And Rory, who is mile 3200 guy, uh, running the 3,000. His 3,000, I look today, I think he's 11th or 12th in the nation, and he's not even close to being done. He was frustrated because he didn't run the time he wanted to. But, you know, it's hard to... You know, when, when you're dealing with taking teams or groups of kids, mm-hmm. you got to go to meets where everyone can participate. Yeah. Um, and this meet was huge, but it wasn't the biggest meets in the country. <laughs> you know, we could fly him all over the country to, to chase, you know, these 10 elite runners. But, right. you know, he'll he'll get his shot at them. Yeah. yeah.
0: But... uh yeah, right now there's like three or four kids from Pennsylvania that are like yeah, so, top 10 in the country. So, so you yeah, yeah, can stay right within our own yeah, state figure, and get some go really figure. good competition. Yeah, Pennsylvania you know? is just phenomenal right now. Right. You go uh, figure
1: thinking like there's like you think of the southern states where people can train. Yeah, and, right. Yeah. You know, uh, even the sprinting, like you think of Texas and mm-hmm. you know, Florida, Florida, where it's just, you know, there's just amazing genetic. hmm athletes you know football players that sprint and you know just amazing people and we got this kid in Danville, pennsylvania training in right 20 degree weather yeah 30 yeah. degree weather you know it was kind of funny you guys were talking about the, the winter a little bit when we started and i'm to the point where if i want snow i'm going to go to it i love i love the snow but i'm going to go to it because i want that track to stay right as yeah possible. <laughs> well <laughs> you
2: know that i coached soccer for a long time yeah. and i paid close attention to the weather yeah Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah, now that I stopped coaching, I don't really give a darn. Right. I mean, I really don't right. want to shovel the snow, but I mean, I right. don't really care anymore. Oh, well, we, we've you know?
1: shoveled lanes in the past. I've got great pictures. Yeah. Um, but back to this group that I was talking to about, you know, I got this, this, I have pictures of all these middle school cross country runners. And we, we do this, this invitation. We do two neat invitations. One is in Scranton. Uh, and one is this list league meet. And, uh, Always get pictures afterwards. So I have this group of seniors who are all running for me in track right now. Uh, Jackson's one of them. Rory's one of them. Renzo is one of them. Uh, You know, just just this group of neat kids, and they're all like seventh and eighth graders. Mm -hmm. And who would have thought, like they were they'd be such a powerhouse right right now at that age back then? And we were just happy to win the the Lacawana. Meet or the league meet in Lewisburg. Mm. We were just like tickled to death and going to get ice cream afterwards. And now we're, now we're like, you know, uh, looking at the rankings. We're not looking at Pennsylvania's rankings. We're sliding it up to all of the states and seeing where they fall.
2: Yeah, it's amazing. Danville has produced a lot of athletes. Yeah. And the the football team's success this year, the amount of athletes they had there. But I got, we got to get up, uh, we got to wrap it up pretty soon because we got another. Another guy coming on to record in about fifteen minutes, but so I got two questions for you. Sure, I ask I ask all the guests these two questions. So the first one is, um, if you had to pick somebody, could have been from somebody from the distant past, doesn't matter anybody that you would think of as like somebody who's inspired you, motivated you, looked up to, hero, however you want to phrase it. Who would that be?
1: My dad. Yeah, Ray Vella. He uh, was my rock. I remember him spending hours and hours and hours with me on my homework. And he is my superhero. He is Mm. my goat. Mm. Uh, Both my parents, I would take time back immediately. Yeah. Uh, Love both my parents equally, but I was really well connected to my dad. Um, And, uh, you know, if I could, I actually look forward to spending more time with him at some point. Yeah. But, uh, um, I severely miss him. Yeah, yeah. So he
2: was an I mean, awesome, awesome man. You know, I mean, you probably know, but I knew your dad because he was still right. uh, working in the hospital and he had to use a a, a jazzy yeah. to get around. But man, he was he. Everybody knew your dad. Right. Yeah, he, he had a neuromuscular disease
1: called yeah. Charcot Marie Tooth. Right, that's why it's a it's a d- degenerative recessive thing uh, that eventually uh, put him in a wheelchair.
2: Yeah, but you could never tell by his attitude. He had oh, this incredible attitude yeah. all the time, all the time. He, he would,
0: he would come to cardiac rehab in his jazzy, and we would, we would get him onto the upper body exercise thing, right. and we had straps to to get his hands on there, and. He came up there a couple of days a week and and work out with us in up in the cardiology department. Rock and Ray, we called him Rock and Ray mm-hmm. back then, but he, he was he was truly inspiring. You know, at that right. at that age, retiring retired, he could be just sitting home doing his own thing. And there he is volunteering at the hospital, right, right. zooming around on his jazzy, stopped. and still yeah. still came never in stopped. and did not let his disability right. stop him. Like right. he, he came in and did did we could like you know yeah. we modified, but he came in and he, he did whatever exercise he could, lifting weights, using that upper body exercise bike. It was. He was, he was a awesome, inspiring passionate about everything
1: man. that he did and everyone he came in contact with. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Beautiful man and would never, uh, would do anything for anybody. Yeah. Uh, he'd be a great one on this podcast because <laughs> his stories would trump most I people's just, stories. Yeah. because
0: couldn't even imagine.
1: The things that he was exposed to and how he got to where he got to are jaw dropping. Mm. Yeah. So I wish I knew an eighth of what he went through. Yeah. So.
2: Well, great choice. So, um, the last question is, this is your chance to speak to the men of America. What message would you have for the men of America?
1: Men of America, be positive, uh, love, you know, the people that are in your life, uh, work hard, mm-hmm. um, be, be true, be a, you know, be, be true, be honest. Mm. And, uh, you know, be passionate about the things that you love and, uh, Love your wives. Yeah, that's a yeah, good one. I feel you love your wives because yeah. they're, they're great people.
2: <laughs> well, Dial up here challenged us this morning at the end of our um, beatdown. He challenged all the guys there to do something special for your wife today. So I cooked two dinners tonight. I was going to say, how'd you do? I cook. I got her flowers. I get her flowers once a week, so that's not yeah, special. I but saw these
1: flowers up there.
2: Yeah, and I um, I cook dinner for frequently, but... Anyway, I cooked two dinners for her and I, but I served her. I made sure I, the. You, this is my this was my first attempt at making a sauce. I usually just put meat on fire. Meat, on fire. Yeah, <laughs> I grill meat. You know different Got types it. of meat, and then I open a can of vegetables or something. But yeah. this time I I looked something up and I fancy meat. Yeah, well, I, yeah. So I did this chicken with um this, uh white 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 wine creme Fresh reduction sauce. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah, it fancy. was actually pretty good. Yeah. So anyway, that's what I did for Did first. you say but many? they a little bit upstairs. Oh, I threw the sauce oh, out. I threw out yeah. the sauce. Right. I'm sorry. The chicken's there, but that's just so good. Chicken. So good. Yeah. So anyway, he, he challenged us to do that today. So that was a great message. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dalip, I think we spoke
1: to another high impact. Man. We
0: absolutely did. Pleasure. Thanks for coming on, John. Well, thank you for inviting
1: awesome, me. And, uh, you know, it was fun. Hopefully Hopefully somebody can get something positive out
0: of all this. I'm sure. I'm sure they will. Tell all your friends. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Peace out, brother. Peace out. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I would like to thank our guests for joining us and sharing their story of becoming a high impact man. More information and resources can be found at highimpactman.com. If you like this podcast, please consider following us on our social media pages or email us at him at highimpactman.com. That is H-I-M at highimpactman.com. The High Impact Man podcast has a new episode every week, and you can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcast platforms. Have a great week, everyone.